0: Welcome to the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club Show, presented by Honey Stinger. This is a podcast that will make you want to get outdoors and will give you some great ideas as a sport parent, athlete, or coach. Born in the beautiful mountain town of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, the Winter Sports Club was founded over a century ago and now serves a majority of kids in our community and has produced more Winter Olympians than any other club in North America are secrets and great stories to share as we play year-round in these mountains we call home. Our calling is to develop complete athletes on and off the mountain by cultivating a passion for the outdoors and a love of sports at all levels. Stay tuned to hear from Olympians, athletes of all ages, coaches, experts, and people who are doing amazing things to make an impact in our community and in their sport.
1: everyone. I'm your host, Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former professional triathlete who finally discovered the joys of skiing in my late 40s when I moved to Steamboat Springs with my family. We immediately discovered the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club, and it's become a huge part of our lives as my husband, Tim DeBoom, is a ski and bike coach, and my daughter, Wilder, has found happiness, friendship, and joy through skiing, jumping, riding, and more. I am thrilled to bring the positive energy of the Winter Sports Club to people all over the world. Thanks for listening. Now let's get started. A big hello to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in. You are in for a huge treat today. You get to hear from one of the top mogul skiers in the country, Jalen Coff. Jalen, thanks so much for squeezing this in before you take off for your next competition for world dominance in moguls. (laughs) God, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Oh, so cool. Um, Well, we're going to just, we're going because I know this thing is going to go long and we have a lot to squeeze in. Let's talk about how, let's start off with how you became the champion you are today I want to hear a little bit about your skiing
2: origin. How and when did you first get on skis? Um, When I first got on skis, I don't remember. Probably the first handful of years on skis, I don't remember. Um, My brother, who's a year older than me, um, we were both born when our parents were still competing on the Pro Mogul Tour. Um, And so we were just kind of plopped in skis, probably as soon as we could walk just to make things easier for them and um, just kind of grew up in the sport of skiing. That was what we did as a family. Did you ski before you could walk? I don't think so, but I don't. All of of that's not in my memory. (laughs) You may. We might have to get your parents
1: on and they can talk about that. That (laughs) is crazy. So in your earlier memories of skiing you know, was it all just about fun and play or were you like, huh, you know, I was kind of competing right from the start?
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was all just about fun. Like growing up, my memories are chasing my brother and my parents around the mountain. Just I mean, I want to do everything my brother did. He's like I said, just a year older. So just my idol and I wanted to keep up with him, follow him off any little cliff or jump or or whatever they, he did. Um, and we started competing in, well, racing, I guess, because um, that was the program that they had where we lived in Wyoming when we were maybe seven or eight or something like that. Um, wow. Okay, so your brother,
3: um, did you end up just sort of following his path the whole way?
2: Pretty much. Yeah, he was the one who wanted to start competing in moguls um we lived up at grand Ergie, wyoming at the time which isn't really known for mogul skiing there wasn't a freestyle program up there um and probably just from maybe watching like old tapes of my parents or something he got the idea of wanting to be a mogul skier wanting to compete in it um and he did one race and I was like, yeah, I, I guess I want to do that too. I actually didn't like skiing moguls because there was one run on the mountain that had moguls and I never wanted to ski it because there's powder and so much more ounce to ski on the mountain. But he was doing it, so I was going to follow him. So are you still really close? Yeah, we're super close. Wow, is he still competing? No, he um, went to college for football, actually. Um, but just started this year competing in some big mountain events again as well. Oh, my gosh. See, I mean, skiing,
1: skiing can carry you through your entire athletic career and yeah. it can transcend like what you think you're going to do. But you can always come back mm-hmm. to skiing. How cool yeah, is that? I love it. OK, cool. So um, you also have mentioned your parents a bit here many many, or most of our listeners are parents of kids who may someday be the next Jalen cough you know, so they're listening because they want to do the right things for their kids. You, you started off by saying your parents were competitive mogul skiers, both of
2: them? Yep, both of them. Um, they both skied on the pro mogul tour for a handful of years or quite a few years. And then my mom also competed in the X Games for Ski cross.
1: Oh, that's so cool.
2: You know, for women, it's kind of a
1: tough dilemma about when and how you know when to have kids because you do have to take a little break Mm -hmm. from your racing and training um tell me how old was your mom when she had you and your
3: brother
2: she was 33 and 34 when she had us um and that was when she was self-competing on the promo go tour and she competed in the X games from I think ninety-nine to two thousand two or something like that. So I mean I remember like going to the X Games and watching her compete, you know, taking her jacket down from the top of the course, skiing along it to the bottom and and watching her get medals there and all that. I mean, that's what's so cool too about this
1: sport is that you you you're not done. When you're 23, 24 years old, mm-hmm. like there is, a, you can have decades, you know, beyond that where you can still be quite competitive. And it's funny when I was uh, looking into your background a little bit, I I watched a funny video of your mom saying that she was talking about how competitive you are and just how how fun it's been to watch you. And she mentioned that, you know, this was sort of in the stars for you because when you were a baby, she said she didn't like to be rocked. She liked to be bounced.
2: <laughs> yeah, she actually won a mogul competition on the day she found out she was pregnant with me too. So, oh my God. Like it that, meant to a, be.
1: <laughs> that totally meant to be. Um, It was like in your DNA before your DNA was really (laughs) solidified. I love it. Um, So when you were young, you lived in Wyoming, Mm -hmm. you're exploring this new sport and were you just falling in love with it? Was there ever a time when you were like, I don't know, I'm going to try soccer or something else?
2: Yeah, I actually kind of did everything. Um, I didn't I guess, just do logo skiing or compete in logo skiing until I think my junior year in high school. Um, growing up, kind of played every sport. And even in skiing, um, I did big mountain events at, up at Grand Turkey and logo skied. And then in high school in Simbo, I was also doing ski cross. Um, and so I did that for, I think, two years in high school there as well. Um, I think that's really, really
1: important to hear because a lot of the experts we've been talking to even on this show have really impressed upon us the importance of diversification for kids and that fun and social are the most important things until you start to get older. And then they're still important and maybe will help you keep coming back to the sport when setbacks may occur. But that's when you can start to get more serious, so it's so cool to hear that you you really waited until your junior year. Well, let's talk about your um your move to steamboat, so you got when did you get to steamboat?
2: Yeah, and so we moved to steamboat um in two thousand ten, so just before I started my freshman year of high school, okay, and what was what prompted you to move so the High school in Idaho that, cause we lived on the, in Teton Valley on the border of Wyoming, Idaho. The high school was in Idaho. Um, and the high school there at the time would only let you miss maybe four days a semester before you had to go in on Saturdays and do a school then. And, um, my brother went to one year of high school there and straight A student, like very smart and, because he missed too many days for skiing, he was going in on Saturdays to do extra work, even though he already had straight A's. Um, and that was a big part of it. If, you know, we knew we wanted to be skiers in high school. Uh, whether that was something we both went on to do or not, um, it was definitely something we, were, we both loved to do. And we looked at, a bunch of different programs. um, And that was kind of the draw of Steamboat and the Winter Sports School was, you know, we could have kind of a regular high school experience and still be in skiing. And my brother played football and um, he wanted to play football in high school. I wanted to play soccer, but we also wanted to be skiers. And Steamboat gave us, I guess, that flexibility to kind of do it all. Yes. I mean, that is, it's
1: definitely unique. That's for sure. Um, I was surprised when we moved here a couple of years ago. I was like, wait, what's the skier schedule? What's that mean? They get to get off school when? But I mean, the whole point is it's about accountability. And if you are able to manage your school, then they're going to help you support your, your sport. And I love that. I love it. So it sounds like it was a good decision
2: um, did you join Winter Sports Club right away? Yeah. So yeah, both my brother and I joined um, the Winter Sports Club and um, joined their freestyle program. And then I guess both dabbled and skier cross there briefly as well. <laughs> so was, was, did you feel like you were leveling up? Like,
1: whoa, this is a whole different level. I've got a different kind of coaching, et cetera, with Winter Sports Club. Like, how did that compare to what you you know, experienced in the past?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a huge level up. of At the time, up in Teton Valley, there wasn't much of a freestyle program. Um, it basically started with my parents when Skyler and I wanted to be a mogul skiers and there wasn't a mogul program up there. So they kind of became our coaches and um, eventually got, I mean, now there's a huge, we're um, like free big mountain free ride program up there. But at the time, we didn't really have that. And there wasn't, you know, any like dry land training or or any of that. Um, and yeah, being a part of the winter sports school, we were a part of this big team and we had all these different like training facilities now available to us and a gym to go work out in and a training hill to which we've never had before you know there's two things
1: that are sort of uh coming to my attention the first is when your parents coach you that is tough I mean it can be amazing but they're your parents like so the idea of leaving the coaching to the coaches is really awesome if they were already coaching the program that's one thing but that's that had to be you know both good and, and tough sometimes.
2: Yeah. I mean, and something my mom um, always says about kind of why she really wanted us to be a part of the Winter Sports Club and Steamboat was kind of a top pick in that reason is because those coaches didn't really know my family, know my parents as Scott Patty Cobb, like pro mogul to our champions, whatever, which a lot of people in mogul skiing do. Um, and we kind of came and did a test week skiing with the coaches there and they really didn't sugarcoat it at all. They were like, yeah, your kids are like, they're fine. They're honestly not that great of, well, man, they were going to coach us as Skylar and Jalen, you know, they were going to coach us as the tough kids of like legends in the sport of mobile skiing, you know? So do you feel like they really got to know who you
1: were and your brother and like what makes you tick to help you, you know, improve?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, and and I had a a handful of different coaches at the Winter Sports Club through my six years there. Um, And yeah, they were all just very dedicated to making me the best athlete that I could be and the athlete that I wanted to be. And Kind of left all of the rest of the family and, and history out of it, which I think was really important for my brother and I.
3: Yes.
1: Um, were there other athletes when you joined who were also at your level or
2: better? I think everyone there was better <laughs> when <laughs> you joined. Um, and when we joined, there was a really big um, post grad team. So those those athletes that had just gone out of high school. So those high level athletes that I definitely looked up to and was like, wow, these kids are good. They were on the cusp of making the U.S. ski team. And I think maybe that first year, Ryan Dyer had qualified for the ski team. And there was, it seemed like a lot of all-star athletes that we were kind of walking into to to join. And yeah. Oh,
1: gosh. So were you, would you have considered yourself a big fish in a smaller pond and you're previous you know uh, setup and now here you are
2: the (laughs) reverse yeah definitely I mean in the whole division down there in the Rocky division is always been really well known in mogul skiing for being the hardest division Um, and so I went from you know winning the Intermountain uh, freestyle competitions and being like oh I'm I'm pretty good blah, blah blah to going down to Rocky and you know, getting fourth to last or whatever, like not even being close to the podium which was good. Like that made me such a better athlete and, and like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna, if I wanna be up there, I'm gonna have to put in some work. And, you know, we hadn't really trained before. So, wow. So sink
1: or swim, and you decided to swim, sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Did um, we've had Ann Battelle on the show? Um, did you did you get the honor of being coached by her a little bit during your
2: tenure? No, she wasn't um, actually coaching there at the time. Okay. Oh, how crazy. But how cool.
1: Like literally you just you show up and you're like, all right, I can either quit now because this is crazy or you can get inspired. And it sounds like you got inspired. Like what? What would you say, what kind of this sounds very formative to me, actually, is why I'm digging in here. Um, would you say that this was a time in your life when you really started to develop, develop some of those traits that would make you a future champion?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, and Seambrot was so good about always making it fun and kind of putting that um, accountability on you as the athlete? You know, you could. Put in the work that you wanted because it was your career, your results, all of that. And they weren't going to make you do anything because they wanted you to do it. You know, it was about what you wanted and the athlete that you wanted to be. Um, And I think that created some really great accountability at a young age. It kind of
1: just empowers you. (laughs) People aren't just telling you, hey, Jalen, this is what you have to do you're like, okay, you've laid out what it could take. It's my decision to get there. Exactly, yeah. Wow. And I think you do have to be a little old enough and mature enough to be able to make make those decisions. If you were eight, I'm not mm-hmm. sure <laughs> that you could be like, yes, this is what I will do. I, it's all on me. But um, I think it, for you, it's like it was the right decision at the right time where your body and your mind were ready to go.
2: Right, mm-hmm. and it definitely took you know it wasn't that first year in Steamboat where I was like, okay, yeah, I want this like all in blah blah blah. Like I was a freshman in high school, I was playing soccer and I was skiing and I was meeting all these new people on Steamboat, and that was part of the beauty of it too is I got to be just a high school kid who also skied and did different activities, but um, I got to kind of just develop myself as a person there. And then when the time came that I realized I was really passionate about it and wanted to put everything into it, all of the resources were there for me. Uh, that is, that's the magic.
1: For so, yes, thank you to your parents for helping you guys make that decision and to you for accepting the accountability and to Winter Sports Club for, like, providing the tools and being there. Love it. Yeah,
2: absolutely. <laughs>
1: Let's talk a little bit about or a lot about your athletic career. Um, I know some of the big highlights. So before though that we talk about the Olympics and world championships and the races you just kicked butt in. Um, I'd love to know if there were any other key breakthroughs along the way, races or
3: even practices or, you know, moments when you just leveled up that mm-hmm. you think are important to share.
2: Yeah, I think there's kind of reflecting back kind of like two notable um, events that are kind of like make or break times for me. Um, And so the first one was... I don't... I think it was my first post-grad year. So first year out of high school with the Winter Sports Club. And I was... Committed to skiing, but I didn't think that that was gonna be my life. Like I didn't. I kind of thought, you know, I'm gonna have this amazing year. I'm gonna make this ski team. I'm gonna accomplish all this, like all these dreams, whatever. And then I'm gonna choose to walk away from the sport. I'm gonna go to college. Um, I'd been accepted up to the University of Mont or the Montana State University, and so I was gonna go up to there, be in the School of Architecture, and kind of move on um on a high note from skiing, right? Go out on my own tours. And that year was horrible. The first event of US elections, I think I crashed every single run. Um and then the first two NORAMs, I I just wasn't able to kind of keep up with how I wanted to be skiing. I was pushing it and blowing out or blowing up and crashing and um There was a two-week break that year between the two parts of the Noriam Tour. And during those two weeks, I started working out a ton. I really wanted to be able to ski how I wanted to. And I think up until that point, I had relied mostly on my athletic ability. Um, And I kind of got to the point, I was 18, where I needed strength to be able to Stay at the speed that I wanted to and, and land the jumps that I was doing um and so for two weeks I hit the gym super hard and then I came back and I had a really good end to the season I got um two podiums on the at the last two events the Noram tour that year I went on to go to junior worlds um and get third place there um and that kind of made me realize that I cared so much more than I thought and that like wanting it after so much failure and so many crashes made me realize I was in no way ready to walk away from the sport. Um, I cared a lot about it and I really wanted it and knew I was kind of ready to start putting in that full work to make it happen.
1: So at that point you were 18 or 19 years old? Yeah, I think I was eighteen. It was just my first year out of high school.
3: Wow!
1: So basically, you were kind of going off talent, and you one day realized, you know what? There are some buckets I have left unfilled. Let's see what can happen if I actually work out more. You know, push this bucket, and it worked. Yeah. Oh my gosh. well, and that had to basically tell you that there. it basically, in my mind, would open the door that there's so much more opportunity and possibility. If two weeks of pushing yourself in the gym got you back into the results and the mindset um, that you could do this, then what would two years of pushing yourself in the gym yeah.
2: do? I kind of realized, I guess, that I ha- yeah had that. I guess, fight in me if I wanted to to do it. Yes. Well, and you needed both
1: things to come together. You needed to want to do it. Exactly. What's cool too is, you know, college, it, there's always an opportunity for us to continue our education. And you can do that. That is a possibility for you. But there isn't always a perfect moment in time when your body is ready to go to the next level in sport. So if you're 60 and you want to get your college degree, you can. But when you're 60, you're probably not going to win a World Cup in Mogul. We we Good You know, also, when you said you were kind of like cruising through that year, but you kept just having failures and defeats. And I, it, what crossed my mind was this concept of trying too hard. You know, in sport, when you're, when you're having magic moments, it often feels like you didn't really try. Did you feel like you were just like trying too hard and then you would crash? Or, you know, what was going on there?
2: Yeah, it was... Um, I think just in my head, you know, I I worked up this whole ideal of the whole year and how I thought it would go. And um, I, yeah, probably... I guess, was trying too hard to make that happen of uh, IUS elections. Okay, I'm going to win this. Like, I need to win this. And it kind of just put way more pressure on myself than there There was. Like, there was no pressure on me to win the event at the time, you know, but I put the pressure on me that I needed to win this event. Right. And who did you need to win that event for?
3: Yeah, buddy. Yeah. (laughs) really at the end of the day it's it's for
1: yourself you know and all those pressures that we tend to also put on us like people will be disappointed or you know sponsors won't be excited or whatever like the end of the day it's really for you exactly
2: so brings up the the second um kind of notable moment was um in my earlier career I think it was Maybe at my second tier Valley World Cup, um, the first day of singles, I skied a pretty mediocre qualification run. I just played it safe, just made it down and score came up and I went into 26th place or something like that. Um, top 16 move on to finals. So I was nowhere near making finals and I was just so devastated. I just had, expected to be in there and I remember that night I was just bawling to my mom she came over to my hotel room and I was like I feel like I let everyone down like there's so many friends and family who came out to watch and like it just like I was not having any fun that day and I felt like I let all these people down and she was like you don't have to do anything for us if you want to keep skiing great you know that we'll all support you if you don't we're all still gonna support you but don't do it because you want to get the medal or the result but you have to do it for yourself and so if you if it's not fun for you and you want to walk away that like we're all gonna fully support you and could care less like basically saying we're not like here to watch you win we want you to win um and like if you do we'll be going crazy at the bottom but we're here because we love you and support you and whatever you do um and so that kind of switched the mindset to okay if I'm gonna do it I have to do it for myself and I have to have fun with it it's not about the medals and the results and all of that because it's so easy to get caught up in all that. It's so easy to just zero in on, I need to win, I need to get a, a podium. And it's a lot easier to make that happen when you're having fun and just doing it for yourself.
3: Yes, it is.
2: So what
1: happened after that then? Did, when was the next time you competed and how did that go?
2: Um, so we competed the next day in duels at Deer Valley and I ended up getting third. <laughs> Oh, my God. Was that your first podium on a World Cup? Um, it was my second. Well, yeah, second podium. I'd also gone third at Deer Valley the year before. Wow. Oh, my gosh. OK, thank you, Mom.
1: <laughs> we th- we're thanking Skylar for wanting to pursue this sport. We're thanking your mom for being just a badass in every way of being there for you. And you know, I'm gonna say to her right now, like that talk she gave you had to be so emotional because she she was probably trying to hold it back, but she was where you were. She understood what you were going through, but she needed to share it in a way that would help you relate. And yeah. I think that is just so
3: powerful.
2: Oh my God. Yeah. And I think that's been a really special thing with with both my parents, so they were competitive athletes and at the top of their sport. Um, and so they've always understood what it's like for me to compete and, and be at the top of the course. And um, they're not trying to coach from the sidelines or add in more than they like, if they should, because they were there and um, they've just been really great at being... Parents and being supporters at the bottom of the course, and yes, probably not understanding. Yes. All right, so parents listening, support, support,
1: support, and keep it fun. That's what I'm hearing right now. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about Olympics. All right, mm-hmm. we've got 2018. So this was your you've been to two Olympics now.
2: Yeah. can you
1: believe that? It's amazing. I mean Jesus. Unreal. Okay, but let's let's start at um, the beginning. Let's talk about twenty eighteen games. Um, were you a shoe in, or how did the selection process go for you that year?
2: Yeah. So that year, the qualification process was the World Cups, starting in December, ending Deer Valley, which was, I think, two weeks before the Olympics started. So there were five, six events. And at at the first event of the season, I think I got sixth place. And then I ended up getting first and second at the next two. Um, So at that point, basically to start the season, I had 100% qualified for the Olympics. Because they take your top two results from that season. And having a first and a second is, you know, pretty hard to beat. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And pretty hard for four other athletes to be. Um and that was pretty sweet because I didn't ever really feel that Olympic pressure of having to qualify, panicking at the last minute to qualify. Um, I'd done well to start the season and I could kind of use the rest of the events leading up to the Olympics to just use as competition practice, I guess, for the Olympics of perfecting my run and getting to make those little tweaks that I wanted.
1: And now, a quick break to hear from our show sponsor, Honey Stinger. Honey Stinger produces fuel for all levels of athletes using delicious honey and organic ingredients. Not only is honey rich in antioxidants, but it's also easily digested and absorbed quickly into the system to help you prepare, perform, and recover. Personally, if energy products don't taste great, I won't eat them, and I bet you agree with me. That's why I love everything Honey Stinger offers, because their products are delicious. You don't even realize you're getting fueled because it just tastes like you're eating dessert. And I have never met someone who doesn't love dessert any time of day. Discover what the buzz is all about on honeystinger.com. Get this, use this code SSWSCPODCAST for 20% off organic waffles, chews, gels, bars, and hydration to help you sweeten the burn. I'm going to repeat that for you because it's such a great deal. Get going over to honeystinger.com and use the code SSWSCPODCAST for 20% off. And now back to the show. So that year then, you were definitely a medal favorite going in, and it didn't quite turn out that way. Mm -hmm. So can you take us through how those Olympics went?
2: Yeah. So going into the Olympics, um, I was leading the World Cup tour. So I'd been wearing the yellow bib. I was right number one on tour, um, which is a really, really tough position to be going into your first Olympics. In reflection. At the time, you know, that was incredible. I'm wearing the number one bib at the Olympics. And, you know, in Sports Illustrated, they're predicting Jalikov to women gold and moguls. And it was very much um, kind of within my wheelhouse of possibilities or skills. Like I had the skills to win. Um, but... Just being at your first Olympics is a lot. There's so much going on. You're trying to take so much in. And there's definitely feels like pressure. And then adding on being kind of expected to win, expecting myself to win, um, wearing that number one bib where everyone's kind of gunning for you was just so much more pressure. And I tried to ignore that at the Olympics and just, just another World Cup, just a year run. Um, like every run was okay. Just put down a good run, and we'll make it to the next round. And then that final run can leave it all out there. Um, and so I was playing it a little bit safe, of just being doing enough to make it into the next round, um, because I didn't want to mess up and not make it to the next round, right? But I didn't get that final run. Um, I for I mean it's a judge sport, so for um, whatever reason, I ended up seventh after um, the second last final run, and I missed the super finals that top six who are going for gold, going for that podium. Um, and that was, I mean, heartbreaking. Just so devastating to be standing there in the finish, looking back up at the course, knowing that I wasn't going to get that final run to leave it all out there. Um, How do you recover
3: from that? Um, yeah, it was really
2: tough. Um, I... I mean, I didn't have the rest of the season that I was going for either. I think I was, um, like I said, I was, I was leading the world cup tour going into the Olympics and, um, we had three more events that season. Um, and I think I, after the Olympics, I was trying to prove to everyone that I was the best, um, and I ended up skiing horrible at the next two events and I lost the globe. Um and once the like globe was gone and I was already gonna get second, I ended up winning the last event of the season. Um but at that point it was, you know, a little too little, too late. I'd w i would lost winning the overall globe by three or four points. Like it was incredibly close and um, I had fully lost it at those events following the Olympics because I was trying to prove to everyone else I was trying to I wasn't doing it for myself and I wasn't having fun um, and it was definitely hard to come back from um, and a big learning curve after the Olympics of getting back to Doing it for myself and not getting caught up in um, the results of of the overall globe and the medals and all of that. Um, Did you consider being done? No, um, I didn't because I knew that I was better than what I was doing. You know, um, I knew I had a lot more potential and. Um, I yeah I still wanted to do more in the sport and I knew I was capable of that
3: well and it's it's hard with many sports that are uh Olympic
1: kind of highlight sports every four years there's this massive event right but there every year there are world cup competitions i mean you can be ranked number one in the world and still have an amazing career and never do anything at an olympics it's just that that seems to be what a lot of the general public focuses. on. so i can understand why that result at the olympics played with your mind and i just wonder like how so you there's four more years till the next olympics which you may or may not make it to right so how did you recenter yourself and find that love and the, you know, drive to do it for
3: you again?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, and how are probably a lot of Olympic sports work, but how our sport works is we work in four year cycles. It's all based around the Olympics, even though it is that one event of, okay, Olympics are over kind of reset. Let's start building to the next ones. Um, And it definitely, I mean, I would say through my whole career, it's been kind of a roller coaster of, you know, highs and lows of going back and forth between that passion being super ignited and and getting caught up in things and and feeling like I'm not in it for the right reasons um, or at an event, not being focused on myself and doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, And... I feel like it kind of took me until maybe this last season going into the Olympics, that training camp before the Olympics, to really get back to just myself and doing what I wanted to be doing.
3: Yes. All right. So did you actually go out there
1: and just have some fun days skiing that didn't include a mogul?
2: (laughs) In the four years? Or (laughs) Yes.
1: I mean, ever maybe that's actually a good question. Do you just what does a fun day of skiing look like for you?
2: Um. Well, I went home for this weekend because I've I've been home between events for we have like a week off, and so I I went back up to Wyoming, and they ended up getting hammered with no, so it was just powder skiing for the weekend. Oh um, man, and that's exhausting, even if you know how to do Lake it well. Jello.
1: <laughs> yes. Great. I love it. So, okay, we're going to fast forward. And if there are any important things to share between the the 2018 and 2022 Olympics, I want you to go into those. But what I want to kind of refocus us, us on is, yes, there's a roller coaster. Yeah, you were devastated after 2018 when all the pressure was on you. You were so young. First Olympics. So here you go. Now you're no longer a rookie. You're a veteran in 2022, but you hadn't been on a podium all year, if I'm correct, or you hadn't been on a big winning streak. Let's just say that. And um, you made it to the Olympics and you changed all that. So it's funny because I was reading various articles about your Olympic run and the Washington Post reported that you Jalen Coff emptied her mind and won silver. So I'm just wondering here, I would love for you to take us through your 2022 Olympics all the way through to your spot on the podium and uh, give us all some insight into what made this happen.
2: Yeah. Um, so kind of starting back um, at the beginning of the season, um, the... In the last four years since the 2018 Olympics, the degree of difficulty in jumps in women's mogul skiing has gone to an insane level. It's completely changed. The sport is so different from what it was four years ago. Um, And all the girls, including myself, over the last four years have been working on upping our jumps and upping our degree of difficulty. Um, And... The last couple seasons for me have been trying to work on a Cork 7 um, and bring that into my run. And I've done it in a few events here and there. And going into this season, that was the Olympic run that we wanted. It was going to be a, a backflip mute grab to a Cork 720.
1: What's a, uh, explain to our listeners, what is a Cork 720?
2: So a Quark 720 would be a off back backflip with two spins in it. Oh, my gosh. So, if, yeah, spinning 720 degrees at an angle, basically.
1: In the middle of going as fast as you can and taking all the impact. Bop, 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 bop. All right, now, you know, throw that in the mix. I love it. So you're you're like the most you're like a multi sport athlete, actually. This event is. It's amazing.
2: Yeah. So at the beginning of the season, I did one in the first competition and I kind of ended up messing the landing up on it in in finals. So I got fifteenth, sixteenth place, whatever. Um and all of the events leading up to the Olympics were really focused on that jump and bringing that jump into my run and it was pretty overwhelming for me I just felt like I had to bring that in like I, I couldn't win without that jump I needed to do it but it wasn't where I needed it to be um and I did the same thing at Deer Valley I did one in finals on the bottom air and kind of messed up I sat down on the landing a little bit got 15, six, eight place whatever um and luckily, the Olympic qualification was a little different than last time. So it was, um, which we knew a couple years ago, um, but it was based on your results from the past two seasons. Um, and so I'd had some podiums the year before and um, I, well, it's a, it's a confusing qualification process, but. It was supposed to be decided at the the top two spots at the end of the 2021 20, season. Um, and so at that point, I'd won a World Cup this season before I'd had some podiums. But because of COVID, they extended it into the start of last season. Right. Um, luckily, I was still in there. I was, um, I think, number two on the FIS points list. So I i qualified for the Olympics in early December, I found out. Um, so that pressure of kind of qualifying for the Olympics was off. But that pressure of my Olympic run of I needed to figure out this trick for my Olympic run if I wanted to win. Otherwise, I'd had nothing, basically. Um, and then during the training camp right before the Olympics, I was just not in a good place um there was a lot of kind of team drama going on it was a whole different thing that added to me not doing great but I um also wasn't feeling that great about my skiing um you know I hadn't gotten a result that season but I was on the Olympic team like I felt like I didn't deserve a spot necessarily and um you know, a teammate and other people were calling that out and saying that I also didn't deserve to be on the Olympic team because I hadn't had a result that season, Uh, even though that's, you know, not what the criteria was. But um, it definitely led to a lot of self-doubt, a lot of me doubting my abilities. and um, When Coach and I decided that, We just scrap the cork. We just, we don't even train it at the Olympics. We don't, we just throw it out the window right now and we do it my way. I just focus on skiing, Jalen Kopp's run. I just go out, have fun, and I like take that pressure off of bringing him in a new trick. Just ski my run, just have fun and do my own thing and taking out the cork from the, from my run just lifted this huge weight off my shoulders um because I had my run the back slip me to the back x I could do like I knew those jumps I knew that run and and sticking to those jumps made it so that I could play to my own strengths which are the speed and my turns um and that's what I was going to focus on and I was going to train that and push that and um once I got to the Olympics, I was just having so much fun training. Um, I talked to Shannon Barkey right before the Olympics, and her advice to me was focus on everything positive because what you focus on is going to expand. And so don't have anything not don't have any negative thoughts, but kind of just have those push them away. and I started keeping a little journal and I would just write down everything good, positive that happened that day in my skiing, maybe at the Olympics of like, I was skiing so well today, like I'm skiing so fast I'm having so much fun. The course is awesome. Um, and just kind of noting all of those positive thoughts. And I was just in such a good mindset for the Olympics. There was no pressure. I was just out there to have fun and to ski my run and it going into the competition was I was skiing to win every single run because at the last Olympics that was kind of I didn't do that. I was skiing for just enough. Um, And I talked to Shannon and she'd had very similar Olympic experiences Um, and so I was very thankful for friend of her mentorship. They're going into these, but every run, every training run, every competition run, I was going to go out and ski to win.
3: And you almost won it all. You (laughs) did win a silver. And that is absolutely
1: incredible. I remember watching, we were all like jumping around. I didn't know anything about the sport really. And my whole family was jumping around. We're like, Oh, my gosh, we're in Steamboat. We have a Steamboat. Kick-ass. Oh, just hit the podium. I mean, we were just, like, mm-hmm. awestruck. And it just looked superhuman. How cool. Well, what about this concept of emptying your mind? That's what, you know, clearly you did an interview, I think, with the Washington Post, and they mentioned that. Was that something that you employed to help
3: you get into the right headspace? Yeah, I mean, it was... Um, just like standing at the
2: top was just taking a deep breath of like, okay, like, now is your time to ski around, like have fun. And um, one of my favorite moments from the Olympics was the run before to qualify for the superfinals. Um, there's a picture of me at the bottom of the course um, And I'm just like looking up Um, and I had like, I remember when my sport popped up, I started to tear up because it was a little bit of that redemption of like I didn't get this last time, Um, but I made it like I'm in the super final and I get to ski for the medals and leave it all out there one more run. And I kind of had to tell myself, I was like, okay, you can't cry yet. You should <laughs> like one more run. But um, I just felt like there was a weight lifted off me then. Like I could, I'd made it and now I could just ski, just no pressure, just how it's fun. And um, yeah, that was like at the top of the course, just no thoughts of anything I had to do. Just like, this is it, you know?
1: And let's just make a little note for all the athletes out there listening that you are the one who lifted the weight off your shoulders and you did it through your mind, Mm -hmm. you know, and we carry that weight of the world a lot when we're racing. We think that it means so, so much, but you were able to do that. And when
3: you, when you were weightless, everything changed.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I remember kind of the comparisons with the 2018 and 22 Olympics was, In 2018, I knew there were so many people from SEBA, from Cheetah Valley, all over. They were watching and cheering for me. And I felt like I'd let them down because I was supposed to win or be on the podium, at least. And I didn't. And I felt like I was letting people down. Um, And I realized after that that was not the case at all. Like Coming home to these different communities, everyone was so excited. It's so happy for me because I'd gotten seventh at the Olympic, which was Olympics, which was an amazing feat in itself. And they were just so proud of me. And so going into these Olympics, um, I remember standing at the top of the course, the cameraman is standing on my side and um, I could see the lens there. I was just thinking how many people were up at three in the morning, watching me, is supporting me, cheering me hard, like losing their minds. And it didn't matter what I did. They were going to be losing their minds no matter what. And there was just so much love from all of these communities and all of these people. And what the result was didn't matter to them. You know, let's
1: just say love always wins because here we are one year later. Things are still clicking. Um, just last week, just over a week ago, you ended what we might call an uncharacteristic U.S. Mm-hmm. medal drought at the uh, world championships by winning two silvers. Mm-hmm. So that's incredible. Something is going right still. What,
2: how, why are things still clicking for you? Um, yeah, I think just that idea or mindset of, doing it my own way um I think the Olympics kind of ignited that for me last year uh I have I I felt like after the Olympics maybe I said to my mom or or someone um I know that I'm a veteran on the team and I've been around for a while now but I feel like I'm kind of just getting started and I'm just starting to be able to tap into something um and that's what I feel like I've been able to carry through this year. I'm really starting to focus more on my skiing and the speed. And, you know, those have been my strengths, but I've never given them much focus either. And so I feel like I'm finally putting attention into that. Um, and that's able to kind of bring my skiing to the next level. Um And I feel like I'm just getting stronger as a competitor of trusting myself and my abilities and that fight that I have. Hey, part of that is maturity,
1: experience, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and uh, having gone through failure, you cannot get there without going through the tough stuff. Absolutely not. Let's give some, uh, so for the parents listening, let's give them some advice for their budding athletes. What did your parents do or
3: purposely not do that positively impacted you?
2: Um, yeah, I think my parents have just always tried to keep it fun for me. Um, kind of putting the emphasis on that and doing it for me. Because um, I think that's the most important thing is doing it for yourself. Um, cause it's not going to be nearly as much fun and probably not going to be as successful if you're doing it for other reasons for your parents or, um, your coaches or whatever it is, as easy as it is to get caught up in that of feeling like, you know, you're going to disappoint your, your parents if you don't do this or disappoint your, strength coach if you don't do this workout. So that's why you're going to the workout. Um, You know, it has to be for yourself. You have to be putting in the work for yourself and you have to be competing and training for yourself.
1: I love that. You know, it's actually taking me back to, um, let's pretend you're back to your 14, 15, 16-year-old self. What what advice or what do you want to say to all the kids of that age when they're faced with making these big decisions? Like, do I focus on one sport? You know, they're becoming who they're going to be in their
3: lives and they're starting to really chase their athletic dreams. What do you want to say to them?
2: Um, I would say, I mean, keep doing what you love and what you have fun with. If you're you know playing soccer and skiing or or snowboarding or you know multiple disciplines and you're having fun and loving all of them then keep doing them um because i think eventually kind of that that one really sparks them or really pulls them in um it's going to and i also think you know i keep saying um have fun with it and i was having fun and blah 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 and um it's not always going to be fun. You know, it, you're not always going to have good days. Um, but that doesn't mean that you don't still love it, I guess. Like not, you know, you're putting in the work and you're going to have you're going to have down days where things just aren't clicking. Um and you're going to have days of competition where it just doesn't go go you know, according to plan, but you can kind of focus on the controllables of going out and trying your best. Um, and yeah, just remember that every day is not going to be fun. Every day is not going to be a best day, but you no, know, keep going out. Oh, perfect. You know, there is a mantra
1: that I know means a lot to you that I want to make sure we touch on and it is called
3: deliver the love. Why don't you <laughs> share why that matters to you?
2: Yeah. Um, so Deliver the Love kind of, um, came up with a friend of, he wanted me to kind of get a motto for myself of something to put on my, um, on my phone screen on that I could kind of see every day that was, you know, driving me not only in the sport, but in life. Um, and we kind of came up with love that was, really why I was skiing that's what I wanted to put into everything um skiing and after skiing and you know other things that I was doing um and so for me that's about you know standing at the top of the course delivering the love skiing my run and then having fun with it um taking away all the outside pressure and those other people and and reasons for doing things and just doing it my way i imagine you as like a
1: ups deliverer just like flinging love out the door and you know i love it (laughs) i love it because the word deliver it is yeah it's about you but it's it's about infusing that in all the people and things and, and that touch you or or come within your aura, and I think that's really really powerful and speaks to who you are.
2: Yeah, yeah. and it's it's about not just on, you know, on the hill, but um, you know, delivering self love, taking care of my body and my mind and all of these other aspects, um, so that when I am out on the hill skiing, which is my passion and my love that I can deliver it there too and know that um, I've given my body everything to be able to handle that. Oh,
3: Great. Um, I want to do a quick little speed round. You ready? We're
1: going to do quick <laughs> answers. What is your favorite venue? Ooh, my favorite venue is definitely Deer Rally. Deer Valley. Well, you've
2: mentioned it a lot and you've had a lot of great and tough results there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, under the lights is just, it's an incredible event. There's, I mean, being a little turf is hard to beat. Um, and it's just an incredible crowd that always comes out. Ah, oh, so cool. Have you ever snowboarded? I have never snowboarded. Nope. Will you ever? I think I'd like to try it. Um, <laughs> My mom might yell at me if I try it before I'm done with my ski career.
1: But (laughs) I love that. That is so funny. Um, I have a little girl who asked me to make sure I ask you her very favorite, most important question. What is your favorite snack during training and racing? Oh, my favorite
2: snack during training and racing, um, probably the like honey stinger waffles. Uh, Those are always a go to. They are a go to. Do you have a favorite flavor? Mm-hmm. I usually have a bag of like the vanilla like waffles in my bag um, but probably one of I think there's like a, a cookies and cream waffle that I really like oh that one's good that one's gluten
1: free and actually Honey Stinger is the sponsor of this podcast so that is really cool thank you <laughs> you didn't even know that and boom <laughs> we just gave them some awesome props um Cool. So, okay, what is your go-to
3: night before event dinner? Um,
2: my go-to night before dinner, I mean, maybe just a pasta. I don't know. It's old tough. school. Carbo load, baby. To, like, pick that ever. Like, usually where we're traveling and training is um a meal plan that we're on. So it's kind of whatever. <laughs> They make for us. so Great. I love it.
1: And then finally, um, in Steamboat, for all the locals, what is your favorite place to go out the morning after an event and treat yourself to a great breakfast?
3: Well,
2: Freshies has always been my go-to breakfast spot.
1: Awesome. Shout out to Freshies. (laughs) Super cool. Okay, we are starting to wrap it here. So I'm going to start cueing the music and let's pretend you just won the Oscars of skiing and this is your award speech, all right? So is there anyone you want to give a shout out to and why?
2: Ah, man, it's hard to, you know, really narrow it down there. But obviously, I mean, the parents, the family wouldn't be in the sport or be able to be in the sport where I am without them. Um, but also, you know... I have some really incredible sponsors that have um, given me so much love and support over my career and really helped me um, to get to this point. Do you have any competitors who have really pushed
1: you? Maybe they're not your best friends, but who deserve a little shout out?
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've been pretty lucky, I think, to be on the team on the best U.S. women's mogul team um, in the world for, I think we've had that running for maybe four years now or five years. Um, So a really strong team. And they all really pushed me um, on and off the hill um, in training and competition to be able to get to where I am. Um, And there's also some incredible... Um, international competitors that I have that I've been able to develop good relationships and friendships with. And um, I guess a notable one would be Parade LaFont, who, you know, beat me both days last week, get world championships. But um, we've become good friends, and she's someone who really pushes me and pushes my skiing. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Awesome.
1: Hey, none of us do this alone, that's for sure. You might do it for yourself at the end of the day, but we do not do this alone. We are here on the planet with lots of other humans. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Well, I'm going to roll this into the final question that we ask every guest that comes on the show. Are you ready for it? All right.
3: What is the greatest lesson you have learned through sport? Oh, greatest lesson that I have learned through sport. Oh um, well, gosh, I don't know. There's so many lessons that sports teach you. I know, and you've shared many today. I, for sure. Um gosh, let's
2: think. I think one of the greatest lessons that I've learned, what pops into my head first, is that you have to put in the work. No one's going to put in the work for you. Um, And so if you really want something, you have to go all in for it and, and put in that work and that dedication to your craft to be at the top and get to where you want to as an athlete.
1: Well, you are putting in the work. And uh, we wish you the very best next week. This uh, episode will be live. We will all be cheering you on from Steamboat and around the world. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today, Jalen.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me on.
0: Thank you for listening to the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club show presented by Honey Stinger. Check out the club's winter and summer programs at sswsc.org. If you have a special topic or guest you want featured, we'd love to hear from you. Now get out there and support, lead, or be a champion on or off the mountain.